0: We've seen pain in a very black and white way. You know, pain is bad. It needs to be, we need to get rid of it. Um, but actually, maybe maybe it's not all bad. And then if that's the case, what, what are the benefits? And, and can we find them in some sort of way? And does that make our experience of that pain easier and better? And even, even maybe there are parts of it which lead us to grow in some way, even if we haven't chosen it.
1: Okay, life can be crazy. You're feeling like you're sinking. Just trying to find a meaning. It's time for better thinking. Yeah, better thinking. Time to tune in. Let's go. This episode of Better Thinking is with Brock Bastian, who's a social psychologist. And we look at the concept of pain how it can enrich your life, how important it is to have plenty of pain, and obviously the difference between harm and pain one of my favorite episodes because I think it's so important to, to experience this concept of pain that it's, you know, the other side of happiness, which is Brock's book, and how the research goes out and shows the connection between pain and enrichment in life. Brock, welcome to the show and thank you for for coming on to discuss not only your your book but also the work that you 've done in this space around happiness i think you 've got an extraordinary uh, perspective of the, this space of happiness and, and and pain which we'll obviously go into um, and, and i 'm really looking forward to sharing this with all of our listeners
0: great no, thanks for having me Nish. it's it 's a pleasure to uh, to join you on the show
1: <laughs> brock something that 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 stood out so obviously. In this show, you know, better thinking. We're we're always looking at different perspectives that that people take with regards to you know, human psychology, evolution, the like, and and you know how to live a better life. And, and and one of the things that that I think in doing the research that, that came out from your work is. Very much a different different angle on, on, on what happiness is, or where it comes from, or mm. what some of the contributors are. Um, so I was, I was hoping maybe I could ask you about, you know, how's this sort of work come about for you? You know, is this something that's um, uh, you've been toiling for with, with, with for some time? Obviously, you've you've mm. done a lot of research in this sort of space. Uh, is it something personally that you've experienced?
0: Mm. Yeah I mean I wish I had like a really compelling personal narrative to put to this I don't <laughs> um it's too bad but um no I mean I, I think at some point I um you know when I was studying psychology and doing my PhD um you know positive psychology was quite a big a big thing and uh and still is um and I, you know I I liked I liked the um you know, I, like, I like the sort of premise of positive psychology, which is really, and, and to be honest, I think some people have referred to me as a positive psychologist in terms of looking at, you know, I guess human flourishing, how how people can, how we can build protective factors and, and address well being as opposed to only dealing with problems once they arise. So a kind of preventative early intervention sort of way of thinking and, yeah, you know, looking at, you know, the, the, the strengths of humans as opposed to just their weaknesses. So I really like that. But I did feel that there was a, um, you know, a, a bit of a, 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 too much of a focus, I suppose, on this, this importance of, of happiness, um, and and that actually that this could be, you know, this 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 could be counterproductive in some ways as well. And certainly there's, um, you know, certainly there's some some research around, and there was at the time as well suggesting that again, if we focus a lot on, on happiness or, or push towards that as a goal, that it can be counterproductive. Um, but as a, as a social psychologist, I was particularly interested in, in how this might play out in our social worlds. I'd also been uh, trained in ACT. Um, you know, I did a bit of work on, the, not, not in academia, but more applied work, um, and had taken a few courses in ACT, and really really liked the whole acceptance and commitment type approach, and this notion of acceptance. But it, it occurred to me as a social psychologist that, you know, that when people left left the you know the therapy session that they'd walk out into a world which didn't seem to have sometimes those sorts of values, um, that, that actually it was fine to to feel certain negative emotions or that you know that, that it wasn't you know you didn't have to always be be happy or it was you know perhaps the value of always keeping up that that positive front wasn't perhaps always the best way to live. So I started doing some work looking at um I guess what what some of these these pressures um, for people you know, might might elicit what it might be like to live in a world where you feel that other people want you to always be happy, which is a good thing, but also on the flip side, expect you not, not to or think that you shouldn't, you know, express too much anxiety or depression or other sorts of negative emotions. And certainly we found in our work there that, um, you know, that those those sort of perceived social pressures and what we called social expectancies um, had negative implications for wellbeing. um you know, in, in in some of our more recent work, we found <clears throat> using using network analysis, in fact, that, that actually those those social expectations are quite central to depression, to, to the network of, of depressive symptoms rather than peripheral. So, you know, even, even there, I find that sort of interesting that, that you know, the, the social norms can actually sit inside if the network of symptoms of depression and the way that we might feel a certain pressure to be a certain way um, can can actually be. Counterproductive, um,
1: the comparative so, norm, meaning that so yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, well, not not just comparative, but um, I, I guess it's not just the descriptive, but um, also the prescriptive norm. The idea that you know that we we should be we should be happy, um, and, and that, yes. that that being happy is important. And again, I think this this message, in part, um, only in part, came came a little bit from positive psychology in as much as it, it emphasized heavily the importance of happiness and the the importance of positive emotion for flourishing, but also inadvertently set up this, I guess this sort of expectation um, or this idea that people felt pressured to try and always feel that way. And if they weren't feeling that way that they experienced themselves as a failure. Um, so I, 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 that's where I liked some of the thinking of ACT around getting comfortable with some of those more negative experiences. and. Um, and, and certainly, in 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 the research, um, found that you know the less that people experienced pressure in their social worlds, um, you know, the, the more happy and healthy they were. In fact, rather than the other way around. Um, so that's on the on the sort of happiness side, and perhaps the downside of you know overemphasizing positivity and the importance of happiness. Um, and then some, somewhere along the way, I, I started getting interesting interested in you know well, what are the value of, of our negative experiences? How can we talk about these in a different kind of way? And I thought well, if we're going to if we're going to um start to think about that, probably the best place to start is just pain and and I started studying physical pain um I thought you know if we can if we can find an upside to physical pain, then you know we can probably find an upside to anything so um so we started looking at physical pain in the lab we would expose people to painful experiences mostly you know putting their hands into ice buckets because that's the, the easiest way to do it experiment
1: we're allowed um, to ethically these days if it, that's, if it was, uh, 50 60 years ago we could come up with other pain pain measures exactly
0: exactly <laughs> yeah all sorts of things yeah <laughs> um <clears throat> it's funny you know people some, some people have often uh, you know, worried that we were exposing people to you know to these painful experiences, but to be honest, I think most of our our um, participants enjoyed that experience more than answering a 50-page questionnaire. So, um, you know, I think that's yeah. four-
1: it's <laughs> actually it, it, it's quite interesting because even when we think about how psychology goes out and tries to um, uh, approve. You know ethics of of studies. Mm. We're very adverse to you know this idea Mm. of pain. You know what's allowed. You know this kind of terrible Mm. fear of you know trauma and you know you know anyone feeling anything that they don't want to feel or 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 is more than what they would usually feel. Even within our own studies, it's a challenge. we're 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 very limited how we can, for example, do do pain in pain now. Certainly not. go back to some of the old days there was some yeah things that happened back then but it seems like the pendulum has swung somewhat
0: yeah and I, and I think one of the interesting things is that we confuse pain with harm um mm. and and i and i think that's where you know we, we think that if people are experiencing pain they're experiencing harm um and 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 i i think there's right there we need to tease those things right apart because it's not the case um you know, a good example of that, in fact, is, um, is self-harm um, and and the functions that, that people perhaps try and achieve through through self-harm. Um, one of those is emotion regulation. And we know that, you know, that sometimes causing, you know, having, having a painful experience, a physically painful experience can regulate our negative emotional worlds, in, you know, internally. It helps us to kind of escape from that. Um and an actual fact, you know some of the uh, some of the stuff in, in you know that i've we, we've looked at it and other people have looked at, I think you know you can you can actually get that kind of benefit from a range of painful experiences which might not involve the harm. And in fact, you're better off doing it, obviously in that way, because the harm afterwards people feel guilty and shameful for having caused harm to themselves. but but the benefits of the pain associated with that can be accessed through just, you know, a hard work out of the gym or, or going for an intense run. I mean, these things actually are very good at regulating our internal negative feelings. Um, so, so again, we, we, often think about pain and harm, even, even in that space, sometimes uh, I think as, as fitting together or as overlapping too much, um, and, and, not all, not all pain is harmful at all.
1: That's an amazing distinction. I've, I've actually never thought of it in that way, uh, that, what 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 keeps us so avoidant is this connection between you know pain and and harm when you know to to do really at least in my view really strong psychological work with 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 clients mm. is psychologists who are willing to Absolutely. ask their clients to come and, 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 you know, step into pain immensely, yeah. um, you know, yeah. and, and without the fear of I'm harming them, you know, I don't want to re-traumatize, you know, they won't be able yeah. to handle it, you know, I'm not sure if, if it's too much, you know, if they're crying or, and, mm-hmm. and that, that confidence and, and appreciating it is, is, is so mm-hmm. important. That's kind of what you're saying here that uh, uh, we're not necessarily looking for harm, uh, we're looking for pain and, and there's a function to pain
0: yeah there's there's an upside to it and um there's a, there's a function to it it's certainly unpleasant but then you know um that's that's part of it um it's the unpleasantness which actually you know provides the function which which is what you know m- makes it important um but yeah i mean obviously too much pain can become harmful so we're looking at more mm. levels of it and you know you can re-traumatize people and all of that um and and you know making people put their hand to it's of ice that are too cold for too long could probably cause some harm as well, certainly. Maybe unlikely in that case, but you know, still, there'd be <laughs> there'd be examples. So, um, but it's yeah, green uh,
1: versions, it's it, it's when it's taken too, too far. I mean, yeah. we know that you know, clearly, people can get frostbite and things if they're yeah. extreme or you know, rigid in the way that, 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 that we do things, and yeah,
0: exactly, you know, it's, it's that and, and traumatized. Key and traumatised as well. So, so, yeah, I think it's about understanding. Yeah, there, there is certainly, a, you know, an important, like, for, you know, for, for, uh, the amount and intensity um, that the pain needs to be at in order to have positive benefits for us. Um, but, um, but, yeah, certainly it's not all, not all harmful.
1: So this is in in some sense uh, trying to just summarise that kind of shaped from this overemphasising over, the importance of uh, happiness. You know that that people should be happy all the time. That that's our norm. and, You know we should strive hmm. for joy, happiness, um, you know, feeling yeah. good, etc. And maybe you know missing another piece of the puzzle, which is. You know that that potentially some of these you know painful experiences might have some upside might 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 have some benefit or or some value yeah. in the picture
0: well yes there's two parts to that i mean i think the first is that um that 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 sort of focus and search for for happiness the fetish for, with happiness if you like um it it, it, it you know, and again, w- wanting to be happy and searching at happiness I think is absolutely great and positive and, and, and I think important. I think it's w- when it leads you to feel that your painful experiences, your failures, your upsets, these sorts of things, you know, you, your feelings of depression, anxiety um, are actually interrupting your ability to live a good life. And, and that's when it becomes problematic. It's when you start to devalue those experiences and see them as, um, as, as problematic. Um, as, as things that need to be medicated, eradicated, those sorts of ideas, you know, that, that again, if I'm feeling depressed today, well, I'm failing in life. I need to, f- I need to feel happy in order to be successful. I mean, even that, that idea there I think is problematic. So it's not, so, it's a, so the first part to it is that that focus on happiness leads us to devalue those
1: experiences.
0: And when we devalue them, we don't, we, not only do we not get the benefits from them, but we also respond to them quite badly. Um, we're much more likely to to suffer and and get caught into in, in feelings of depression, anxiety if we if we struggle with them and and find them as you know things we need to try and get rid of um, rather than sit with them comfortably and explore them in some sort of way. And I think it's very hard to explore something which is simply seen as bad or negative or um, or as failure in some sort of sense. So we need to change the narrative around those in a way which allows people to go, okay, that's an interesting experience, it's unpleasant, but hey, maybe there's other elements to it which could be quite important for my life. And, you know, there's a whole lot of those. So at the highest level, I think it's just a recognition that the way that we're, the way that we're made as humans, if we didn't have these sorts of experiences, we wouldn't even know what, what happiness was. Um, you know, it, you really can't, you know, endless happiness in our current state as humans is not possible. Um, you, you become numb to it. Um, you know, Aldous Huxley wrote about that in Brave, in Brave New World, the idea, you know, a world in which we could eradicate all our suffering and it was, it was a, a sort of dysphoric future. It was uh, a dystopia, not a utopia. Um, so I think as we as we Why so?
1: Why, why so?
0: Well, I'm so, I mean, like, well, okay, so, I mean, if you take a... A classy example, and, you know, I think any, any pleasant experience becomes somewhat unpleasant over time. Um, you jump in a nice hot spa, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but if you don't jump into the plunge pool in between times, it starts to become a little bit, you know, you've climatized to it and it doesn't actually feel as good anymore. Chocolate, very rewarding, very pleasurable experience. You know, eat too much of it, continue to eat it without stopping and doing something else, you'll end up feeling sick. Um, there's very few pleasurable experiences in life. That you can just have endlessly and in actual fact a lot of the pleasure that we experience um, is often the flip side of which is often it, it can't exist if, if the opposite wasn't also true um you know a good example would be um you know uh, the the you know study for example i mean you know it's a really great thing to to study and pass a course and feel that you've achieved something but if the possibility of failure wasn't there, if you couldn't have failed that course, if that if that wasn't even a chance, then you wouldn't even feel any kind of sense of you know achievement. Certainly no one would no one would congratulate you for passing a course you're inevitably determined, you know, <laughs> predestined to pass, right? Where's the achievement in that? So so you have to have these other this other kind of experience to, you know, to even be able to access um some of that 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 good stuff in life. Those other experiences have to be there if not as a reality, at least as a possibility. Um, and, and so that's what those experiences give us. So, um, you know, I think if we were just endlessly happy, we'd become endlessly numb at some point. You know, we, we, we acclimatise as humans to, to things we adapt. Um, and so without some variation in our worlds, um, we, we, we go numb,
1: ultimately. And is, is that somewhat uh, in our biology? Is that, is that connected to, 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 to something?
0: Well, I think, I think I mean that's how we've that's how we've managed to survive even the the unpleasant experiences in life as well. So you know we've, we've managed to uh, to adapt as humans, and um, um you know we we the, these these experiences are things which you know over time we can actually sort of um, you know accommodate in, into into our worlds. Um, but you know, we, it goes in both ways. So just to, just the same hardware that allows us to deal with those those sort of difficulties and, 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 and harsh environments we've had to deal with, you know, throughout evolutionary history, that same that same hardware also means that we acclimatise to, you know, to um, the, you know the positive pleasant experiences as well. So that we end up just you know I, you know these these things tend to without some sort of contrast, without some sort of edge to it, we just don't. We don't notice it as much anymore. Um, so, it, you know, we need we need that that contrast or that edge to the experience in order to really be able to have it in the first place. Um, we really appreciate um, we appreciate those sorts of things much more when we've got the contrast, when we've had the the opposite, or the or the possibility for the opposite. You know, the appreciation, the engagement is much higher.
1: So many things are triggering in my mind in terms of having that appreciation due to the contrast, you know, in, in, in relationships, Mm. you know, so many of us just want our uh, relationships to go well, you know, to always be happy and it's almost like this ideal is, is what we're searching for. But in actual fact, Mm. uh, it's clearly not ever possible to live two simultaneous lives that are always in agreeance. Um, And in actual fact, is, is probably not what we're looking for because it doesn't challenge us, it doesn't challenge us, ask us to do different things, have different experiences. You may as well be alone um, because yeah. the other person is thinking what you're thinking, doing what you're doing. You know, yeah. You're kind of by yourself because you're with yourself. You know, yeah. Doesn't,
0: yeah. Doesn't yeah. Well, shoot. there's, the, well, I mean, we also know that relationships where there's, you know, some conflict and stress earlier on become more robust. Mm. Um, so, so again, you know, it's it's – I mean, if you think about, you know, again, often, you know, the, those relationships that are strongest where you've had a bit of a, a disagreement with someone but you've come through it or you've um, had, a, had some sort of conflict or had to have a tough discussion, but, you know, you've you've come through that together and actually that, that's a strengthening. Um, that leads to a strengthening that relationship. Relationships where you've just floated along the surface and never, never had to engage with that, that sort of discomfort they they they're not they're not as strong, and as soon as a bump or a you know a bump in the road comes along, they fall apart um so so it's right strong relationships require engaging with some of the discomfort as well as the just the pleasantness of it yeah.
1: Why is that i mean i I have a look at it, and obviously that that's how family you know uh, is mm. so so robust they go through such hard time you know relationships mm. i know uh previous Former training, I went through the military and, and some, of the, some of the blokes in particular that, that I went through, you know, recruit course in was immense pain and it's not just the physical, yeah. it's sleep deprivation, it's being mm. yelled at, um, so on and so forth, plenty, plenty of stuff. But, you know, we, we walked out as brothers you know, that yeah. uh, 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 we were, and this is what that camaraderie is, right? You know, we're yeah. stuck and glued and, and probably why their retention rate is probably quite well in terms of once yeah. people have been through, they stay for a you know, reasonable yeah. time because you, who's going to leave their brother? You know, you're, you're, I'm, I'm with exactly. my brothers, with my mates, you know. Well, what yeah. is it about hardship, you know, that adversity that, that brings us connected closer? What, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. I mean, I mean, firstly, I mean that, that rituals, social rituals throughout the world, um, are, are strangely painful events. So, if you, you know, I guess persistent throughout times and across cultures, a lot of there are a lot of rituals that involve an element, quite an element of pain. Some very extreme, like the Kavadi festival, for example, where, in you know, in Mauritius, where people actually literally sort of you know, engaged in pretty horrific acts actually um but but throughout throughout they history they, with, sorry what do they what do that? oh it involves um piercings and and all sorts of uh you know quite quite um yeah i mean there's there's different levels of it but certainly so one study one study looked at that found that People who engaged in, engaged in the sort of low intensity, which was just prayer and fasting and things like that, versus the high intensity, which involved body piercing and all sorts of, I suppose, you know, really quite painful um, demonstrations of commitment. Um, you know, they, they found that it was the, the, not only the, the, the actors but also the observers of those more intense rituals who, who gave more money to the temple at the end of the, the festival. Oh. Um, and we and we we find this this has been demonstrated elsewhere, just in the more benign context, you know, other research as well. That you know, wh- whereas you would think that if you you know if you engage in all that effort to 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 um, to I guess um, you know to a cause that you might feel well, now I don't need to actually contribute more to that cause, but actually it increases commitment. Um, you know, effort increases value. Um, you know, in in marketing, this is called the IKEA effect. So people you know, people get more value, see more value in IKEA furniture because they've got to put the damn stuff together when they get home, and so that makes it feel valuable to them in some sort of way. Um, when, when we have to expend effort, it actually creates value, and so that, that makes those, you know, makes the cause, it makes the purpose more valuable, and we're more likely to contribute more money to it as well. Um, so this, in a sense, this, this, this effort creating value is, is what happens with social groups as well. So when we go through effort, it makes that, that group more valuable in some way. That's one explanation. Um, but I think there's also other explanations as well. So we, we ran a study where we had people, um, you know, do painful activities versus very similar but non-painful activities together. You know, buckets of ice, we got them to eat hot chillies um, in, in one study and then we asked them to engage in a in a cooperation game where they could, you know, um, choose numbers and they'd win money or they, you know, they, they could win money. but but, you know, only, only I guess the game is set up such that if they choose higher numbers, they can get more money, but only if everybody else ch- chose higher numbers as well. And if anybody was a free rider and chose a low number, which would guarantee them a sort of moderate amount of money, everyone else would lose out. So, so you kind of need the whole group to move together in order to maximise gains. So it's a trust game. It's a cooperation game. So we found that people who had shared the painful experiences together were more likely to choose the higher numbers. They believed they trusted the the rest of the group would come along with them and, and cooperate towards that end. And and I don't think that, that in that study, I don't think that was just about creating value. But and I and look, we don't we haven't really found the answer to what's going on there. But I I think it's got something to do with the fact that sometimes these sorts of experiences make us put us in quite a a position of authenticity. It's very hard to be inauthentic when you, you know, when you are going through a painful experience, whether that's physical or, or, or mental. Um, I think, it, you know, at a moment of failure, it's very hard to be inauthentic about that um, unless you pretend you didn't fail. Um, so sometimes these sorts of experiences strip us, I think, of our, our um, <clears throat> some of our, our sort of um, well, you know, our camouflage, if you like, um, and, and can create a lot of authenticity. But we haven't really, we don't have evidence for that, but uh, you know, that's, that's that's my best guess at some of it. So on one hand, it creates, you know, pain, painful, pain, engaging in painful acts can create a lot of value. And the other, I think it also brings people together through through being more authentic and more grounded together as well.
1: It certainly resonates when you, I suppose, at least antidotally, when, when you look at uh, groups or individuals within groups, in places like, you know, uh, Tesla Motor Company you know, where they're yeah. expected to fail, there, there's a high risk, yeah. you know, and, and, and there's, there's really a, an asking from management of, of working harder or longer hours of working yeah. together um, and that you know, others are saying you're not going get, to get by and, and everyone's kind of, you know, individually at risk because they could be made redundant tomorrow. Uh, yeah. Or... You know, we, we go in together, but it requires trust. It requires that uh, trust yeah. we're talking about as a collective. Yeah. yeah. And when yeah. when some of these things come over the line, it you know, it almost feels like a there's a cult following there of, you know, we're part of, you know, uh, the mm. you know, rapid advent of, you know, sustainable energy or whatever it might be. The, 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 yeah. There's kind of a movement that goes on, with, which is that camaraderie, but it's all come through, well, predominantly or significant amounts come from pain, you know, for, for, and, and together yeah. and trust and you know, putting some skin yeah. in the game.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I know that somebody can value if you haven't failed, you know, no one's interested in, in you know, in you, you haven't learned the lessons, you know, you need to learn. Um, so, yeah, I think I think these, again, these sorts of experiences teach us a lot um, and, and they're very important that way. But I guess also, um you know in 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 those sorts of environments i mean what, what in an interesting concept which is getting quite a bit of traction in the organizational world now is is this notion of psychological safety and so this is the idea that you know that it's actually okay to fail and that, that you know it's a safe place to 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 launch especially around innovation to launch you know big ideas maybe slight, slightly crazy ideas ones which will be uh, ultimately have the potential to be innovative but which also might not and might you know fall flat um but to feel safe that you know that it's that's that's a place that you can do that and that people aren't going to um you know pull the carpet from from underneath you and deride you for having a silly idea if you do so these, these you know this notion that we can kind of make you know, make mistakes um do throw ideas around um get it wrong but also then get it right is really really important for innovation and i suppose that's again that 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 importance of not always you know allowing allowing for some of this this negative stuff this discomfort this uncomfortable um stuff to come into an environment where you know it's okay to it's okay to trip up it's okay to make mistakes it's okay to, to even to to feel bad sometimes but but, but, you know, all, all of that is actually quite conducive to a positive outcome.
1: Playing devil's advocate, uh, and I know that you haven't used the word psychological safety in, in, in this way, but uh, the devil's advocate would ask a question of, if someone's going through a hard time and we want to give them psychological safety, uh, mm. could it be counterproductive or not conducive where we, we make the environment uh, really appreciative and understanding and compassionate and we kind of say, you know, we know that it's stressful for you and you've come and spoken to us. So, you know, maybe you do need to take Mm -hmm. some time off or, you know, balance it up a little bit and and so on and so forth from kind of like a fear of I don't want... You know this to escalate or be worse or to cause harm at some point. Uh, yeah. there's the, kind of like you know let's let's take it easy. Is, is there that possibility where maybe workplaces are um, Absol- be- becoming yeah. too, and I'm, I'll, I'll put out the <laughs> big word. You know, becoming too soft. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, um, a- a- absolutely. And I think I think what you just described there is is a sort of is the is the a perfect characterization of how that concept of psychological safety is mis- has been misunderstood in yeah. many ways because it's not about keeping people safe and protecting people and wrapping them in cotton wool and you know not not i guess exposing them to to um, the reality of their situation it, so you know if it, i think a psychologically safe environment is is one where people are able to be quite you know quite um Open and straightforward with each other, and, and say, look, that was a really bad idea. Sorry, that that one, you know, that sucked.
1: <laughs> mm.
0: um, not one which sort of. It's, so that that's what that's what it means. It means it means you can fail, right? But that doesn't mean you protect people from failing and you stop them from failing and you try and help them to feel like they haven't failed. No, no, you you let them fail miserably and you let them know that they just failed miserably, but that it's okay that they are failing miserably. In, pick in yourself back up and just keep going.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, in some sense, I'm hearing you. We're encouraging people to face their fear, which is the pain, yeah. the, 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 the you know, yeah. being scared of saying, Hey, I've got an idea. And yeah. if, if the idea is rejected, that's okay. The, yes. the psychologically yeah. safe space to go and say, We want to hear everyone's ideas um, yeah. because that's important to the growth of the whole team and the organization and so on. You're not going to be reprimanded for you know, ideas or putting something forward or no. speaking to, to another colleague. You know, it's not no. about, uh, it, it's about facilitating that sort of space where people can have fear, people can have pain, you know, they're being emotionally yeah. scared.
0: Yeah, that's right. And, and and, and yeah, exactly. So it's, it's not about protecting people. I think that's where the word safe gets really misused. Yeah. It's, it's where it's actually safe to to fall over and, you know, and 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 when you fall over, you'll you'll feel it, and um, you know, and and people will let you know that you know that was you know you, you you stumbled in that particular idea there. But so it's it's actually safe to tell someone that that's a bad idea, as well as it's safe to throw that idea out there in the first place. So it's a it, it requires quite a lot of people. I mean, certainly a high level kind of concept in some ways. Um, but yeah, it's about being quite open and 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 even blunt with people, but with but but with an understanding that. That, you know that there's no judgment there um, it's, it's we're, we're looking at the idea we're not looking at the person um, and I think this you know this same this same sort of principle can be applied in in quite a number of ways in, in different domains um, but it I think again if you've got an organization which is focusing very much on the importance of happiness and success and positivity and um, you know that, that that can actually create a lack of psychological safety because in a sense that organization isn't willing to doesn't provide space for people to not feel happy or to, to fail or to make mistakes or to get it wrong. Um, it doesn't provide that, that space. Of course, we're not going to kind of forever, you know, I mean, people have to sometimes get it right as well and they do have to move forward. Can't, can't encourage failure endlessly. You know, <laughs> there, is a, there is a reality to that as well. But it allows for that to happen and doesn't expect that people should always be on one side of the equation.
1: How does expectation setting play into this space, you know, with Mm. the organisations or, you know, management or, in in personal uh, relationships? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Or even this
1: expectation might be, you know, this this happiness, you know. I know that your book, you know, The Other Side of Happiness, uh, is Mm. really talking in some sense about expectations. How, How does that fit in?
0: Yeah, well, I think, I think it's very much around this idea that, um, you know, if we, do, if we do expect to um, to experience happiness and we have that expectation set up for us, and I will say that I think that expectation is is set up for us in many kinds of ways. So, I mean, if you have a look at, if you have a look at advertising, um, you, you know, you walk through a shopping centre, you won't see a sort of disappointed, dull, kind of, you know, slightly unhappy looking face. Next to any product in that shopping centre, right? <laughs> nor on the internet, nor on the television. You know, I mean, the amount of, the, I mean, the 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 level of excitement that people have over in in advertising over buying dishwashing detergent is quite, you know, quite astonishing, right? I mean, they are. This is a wow dishwashing detergent. So we're we're constantly sold on this idea that um that you know people around us are experiencing these not just happiness, I mean, extreme happiness, and and the, the advertisers are using this to sell products of course they want to i mean if i see someone with dishwashing detergent looking quite disappointed i probably won't buy it so they, they do use this but again inadvertently it's leading to this setting up this expectation that hey everyone everyone's always feeling look at all these faces around me look at all these billboards look at all these people looking at me they're always they're always looking happy and why aren't i always feeling this way Social media is another one when I mean, we don't we don't post images of ourselves looking sort of a bit disappointed or we don't advertise our failures on linkedin you know we don't we don't sort of i mean some people do and and it's and i think that's that's um good but but really ultimately we, we portray a particular particular image of ourselves on social media and so again when people get on social media um <clears throat> you know when they when they look at instagram and they're seeing people on these wonderful holidays, doing wonderful things, and they don't always feel that way themselves. Um, it sets up this expectation that the rest of the world is like this and I'm somehow inconsistent. I, my experiences are not the same as what other people's experiences are. Um, and and I, I suppose also when we're not able to talk openly about these things and people don't feel, um, you know, they don't feel confident to be able to to share those elements of their their lives again perhaps because this norm has been set up that we should always be trying to just share those positive moments or we should be expressing positivity to each other again it leaves that that sense of feeling quite isolated and lonely and certainly in our own research we found that you know to the, the extent to which people feel that those those expectations are in their social environment um when they do feel depressed they also feel more lonely they feel disconnected as you would expect because they're not matching, they they're not fitting in with what they think is the norm and what is expected of them, what other people expect them to, to do. So, yeah, expectation is massive. And, of course, individually as well, we know that, that you know, if you, set your, if, you, if you set your expectation for happiness, you know, we, along the way, the way that humans work, you know, you're going to assess whether or not you're meeting that expectation. And, of course, in that space between not quite meeting your expectation and, you know, in that space there is some disappointment. And so ironically, what, what happens is that as you assess, am I as happy as I expect I should be, you actually become less and less happy because your disappointment builds rather than your happiness. You're actually, you're actually fostering disappointment there rather than fostering happiness. So I think, I think setting expectations around how we should feel is quite dangerous. Um, and and it, it tends to be quite counterproductive, both both individually but also in organisations and, and/or you know, in, in, in society at large as well.
1: How about expecting pain, you know, on, on, on that side of things, of expecting that, you know, something mm. will go wrong, expecting that I'm going to have arguments with my wife, manager, expecting that I, I'm going to go through some low, dull patches, you know, something that really goes out and, and, and is, is is always something that I look upon positively is 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 and I'm you know always excited by is when someone from more from a more rural area comes to see me in my clinic yeah almost always that they have a, a certain level of resilience or at least it appears that way yeah. you know yeah. they, they they kind of expect that you know uh, there's going to be some hardship. or well, they've certainly been through a fair bit of hardship, you know, because rural life often means very early mornings, lots of hard labour, things changing all the time, you know, yeah. so on and so. It's not an easy life, you know. They they, they, really? they almost expect that hey, it, it's you know, if it's going to go wrong, it will, um, and that's okay as well. How does the yeah. expectation on the negative side work?
0: Well, I think it works differently probably because we don't expect to well, I guess if we expected to always be in pain we might be depressed. <laughs> uh, we don't expect to always, we, you know, we just expect that it might happen and that's quite a good and healthy expectation. To have. Um and, and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, what that does is it sets up the willingness to to have those experiences and to see them as part of life and maybe even important in some you know, in some way. Um so, so, you know, and, and, and you mentioned resilience there, and I think that's a really important one because I think it's very, you, you know, the idea of how do we build resilience, how do we become resilient um, is effectively a question about exposure to these sorts of, these sorts of events, you know, so that, so that if I don't, when we know that people are more resilient if they've had a moderate amount of lifetime adversity than if they've had too much, if they've had too much, they tend to become traumatised and they become, you know, weakened. But if they haven't had any, well, very little. They're they're equally not very resilient. So, you know, resilience is I think a little bit like, um, you, you know, if it's a bit like immunisation. You know, if you want to build the, the the body to be able to respond well to a to a pathogen, you have to provide a little bit of that pathogen to the system in order for it to know how to cope. Um, I think it's the same with with psychological immunisation, if you like. And the way that we respond to the world. We need these experiences, these setbacks. We need to be able to deal with stresses in daily life. And that, that's, that's what, you know, it's, it's that exposure to those events which actually builds our resilience. Um, a, a lack of exposure undermines our resilience. So, uh, again, expecting these things will happen and when they do, um, having the tools to step into them and to, to, I guess, engage with them productively rather than, you know, um, unproductively allows for that resilience to build uh it allows us to respond with efficacy and um and that that's quite i think an important part of of becoming yeah building those strengths that we need to 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 get through life well
1: is there a certain amount of uh, sort of pain that that has been shown to be useful effective is it is it about frequency is about intensity is it in particular areas i mean just thinking about how how to raise kids or maybe as an adult should i go out and try and bring a bit more pain into my life where how how do i how do i do this you know what, what 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 what's some of the research saying or what are your thoughts about that
0: yeah i mean i think how much is is a hard question because it probably varies a lot by people and you know, it's it's a very subjective thing. So I, I don't think that you can sort of say, right, well, you know, um, here's you know five painful things you should <laughs> should employ on a daily basis or anything <laughs> like that. Um, but but I, I, I yeah I, I think it's just about being well. Firstly, I think it's about you know changing our perspective on it so we can see that that, that those benefits are there, and then maybe that changes how we orient towards that experience. Maybe we become more inclined to to expose you know, to, be, to expose ourselves to those sorts of risks in life. Um, I, I guess maybe it also allows us to see the importance of of allowing our kids to be exposed to those sorts of risks in life as well. And I think actually, you know, what, one of the things that has happened is that, you know, we, we talk about over, over-parenting, overprotective parenting, helicopter parenting, Um, And and in that sense, the the mollycoddling of our children, um, where we we are wrapping them in cotton wool, not exposing them to the right sorts of risks in life, so they become more depressed, more anxious, less resilient. And this is, you know, there's evidence for this. Um, But I actually think that what underlies that is our own inability to deal with our own anxiety around what might happen to our children. Um, and you know, speaking as a as a father, I'm probably as much to blame, uh, you know, for that kind of way of thinking as anybody else. I think, in our world, we're able to protect ourselves. We we, we like we like to think we can protect ourselves against these risks. Um, and so we extend that to our children. We think, well, we should protect our children from all of these risks as well. Trouble is, they grow up not knowing how to deal with any of them, and then and then they 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 do become exposed to those risks, those those issues in life, and they don't know what to do. They become more likely to be depressed and there's there's good evidence that the kids have less experiences these days than they used to they're getting their driver's license later they're having sex later and that's probably you know all of us go thank god for that as parents at the same time they're not having those sorts of experiences um, that perhaps we did um they're they're, they're staying indoors more that they're on screens more that 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 comes with its own risks um so it's it's uh, you know it's a yeah, I think, I think there is a, a, an important link there between our own tolerance of risk in our own emotional lives and how we're treating our children. And maybe partly that's born of our own tendency to have our own lives quite comfortably or our ability to as well. I mean, we live in a world nowadays where we've got, inc- you know, an incredible capacity to, to deliver comfort, um, to, to, to exist in comfort. I mean, if you think about the way that we live, and um, you just compare that to a you know a country less advanced than we are, and or go back in history 400 years or 300 years or 200 years. I mean, our lives are very comfortable today, particularly in Australia. Um, we we have an incredible level of comfort from you know from shoes that are comfortable to, to cars with cushioned seats to you know we we can have our we can have air conditioning and, and climate controlled temperature almost 24/7. Um, we get upset when we don't have it. Uh, you know, so we we have a lot of comfort in our lives, um, and and so yeah, do we need to then step out of that sometimes intentionally? And people do. You see people doing this all the time. People are going out there doing these um, these, these these what is it? The the um, tough mother events on the weekends, and um, you know, finding ways to expose themselves to 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 risk and adventure and difficulty and. Uh, because we, we, we know we need to, we actually find that's a way of getting meaning and, and, and enjoyment in our lives. Um, so we, we, do, we actually are intentionally seeking out these sorts of experiences quite frequently. Um, and, and perhaps, again, we do it because it's a, you know, we, we live in a world of, of luxury and we need to sometimes step outside of that to, to experience some really important parts of life.
1: It seems like a world where we do have a fair bit of control over luxury, over comfort, yeah. but that has its own magnetism to more comforts, you know, less, 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 for lack of a better word, you know, less tolerance. I know that obviously the acceptance yeah. and commitment therapy doesn't like that word in particular, but in some sense, that's what happens. We we hold, well, my positive, let me rephrase it. We don't mind that word tolerance because that's what people are doing. Mm. They're becoming intolerant. It's about white knuckling. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's about yeah. control. Yeah. But the more we try and control pain or reduce pain, yeah. Yeah. The worse yeah. it gets. We, we, we become, uh, rather than vaccinated to it, uh, where yeah. it's kind of like you need boosters, you need regular boosters of this vaccination. Uh, yeah, we we, yeah. we kind of say, well, I haven't had my booster for a long time, and so you know, a small flu might get me. Yeah,
0: no, exactly. Yeah, I think that's all we have to think about it because the fact is, even though we've got all of this comfort, you know, we still we there's you know there's still there's still things in our environment which are going to shock us from time to time. We can't protect entirely against that. And so what we find is, you know, like, like with anything, I mean, like, like, like with the, the way that um, uh, the, the antibiotics work, you know, the more you use them, the stronger some of those, those antibiotic-resistant viruses become. So, you know, in the same way, we can, we can pad our lives out, but it does mean that the stronger those shocks are when they do come um so it is important to sometimes step into that space and to have a few of those shocks in our lives to be able to to know how to how to respond to them and 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 also to recognize that actually they they are quite valuable too it's not just not just so that we can deal better with those things but actually they provide us with a, a range of uh really important um elements in our lives i mean our our own research shows that if you get people to think back 6 to 12 months and you ask them you know you ask them what was the most meaningful experience? Um, you know, tell me about a really meaningful experience that happened to you in the last six to twelve months. What we find is the most meaningful experiences are not only the most in, not only the most um, pleasant, but also the most unpleasant. So it's it's about intensity. So I think these days we have this interesting idea that we should all be sort of becoming, you know, somehow Buddhist monks, mindful, calm, stress free, never exposed. You know floating through life with without any perturbations or whatever else, you know, just never never, never sort of ruffled, never ruffled. And yet it's exactly when we're ruffled, whether it be through intense positive experiences or intense negative experiences, that we think that was a really meaningful experience. That was something that shaped me, made me who I am. Um, Is something I remember and I recall. And when asked what's meaningful in your life, it's those experiences
1: we mm. go to. It's interesting because... Buddhist monks have an extraordinary amount of pain, you know. Yes, Most true. of us yeah. absolutely hate sitting still, yes. right, for, yeah. for 20 minutes, let alone an hour, yeah. maybe do that six yeah. times a day, uh, along with a whole yeah. lot of other things day after day. We, we find that absolutely unbearable. I mean, they, they have mm. probably, yeah. you know, I, I might go out and argue that they have more pain than any, uh, you know, well, than a lot of us. Uh, that's a good point incredibly painful exercise yeah
0: that's right and 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 so you know this idea of i think this this recent you know trend in mindfulness um again what we what we tend to do is we we take those elements which we kind of you know are, are kind of positive and nice and easy and pleasant and we go well let's all be mindful but actually the way that you know the way that they're trained for mindfulness and this is a lot in yoga too is using a certain amount of pain in order to Provide that resistance and and to train the mind to be able to focus elsewhere and to be able to you know to be able to manage that in a way. Um, so I, I, again, I think you know I think that, that mindfulness is probably I think I think you know I'm I'm pretty personally pretty bad at meditating or, or doing mindful activities, but I find that during a during a run, I, I think that for me is my mindfulness space because it's really very very hard for me to worry about much when I'm just. Thinking about how am I going to how am I going to get up this hill and down the next one without you know and how far am I from home now and you know I'm very present I'm incredibly present in that moment.
1: <laughs> my legs, my legs, my legs, my legs.
0: <laughs> exactly. So you know it serves that purpose as well, um, and it's, it's it's sort of a I mean I've I've been cheeky enough to call you know pain a shortcut to mindfulness because it, it actually is a way of capturing our attention. Um, these and, and when we are exercising intensely, and, you know, with, with a certain amount of resistance there, um, it's a great way to, to, to keep ourselves out of, the, you know, the, the future and the past. It, it really brings us into the present and makes us deal with what's right here and right now. Um, and so sometimes the, the easiest way and the, and the most expedient way to become present is not to be surrounded by pleasant aromas and soft noises, but actually to be quite challenged
1: is there a generalizing effect? So, for example, you you talk about going for a run. If you go out and push yourself, where your legs, you know, ache, they hurt a bit more than usual. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're 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 pushing the limit somewhat. Does that help you in other areas? Because you've been able to kind of go through that pain. Does does it then make other things a little bit easier to handle, or or does it kind of just be is, is it just specific to that task so you know yeah. now that i've done you know i've run this far at this pace it helps me to run that far at that pace you know easier next time or you know continue on that yeah. growth or does it does it go beyond that
0: i think there's definitely i mean we're we're actually in the process of doing some research on this in, in sort of everyday kinds of experiences and whether or not yeah exactly that you know being exposed to this this sort of um, experience here might lead me to be better at dealing with a different kind of experience and whether I can bring you know certain re- resilience factors that I've used here and, and also practice here whether they become stronger over a different context or even whether other resilience factors emerge as a as a as a function of that too. Um, what we do know is there's, there's some you know research again showing that that people who've experienced a moderate amount of lifetime adversity. And this means um, you know parents breaking up, maybe experiencing a car accident, the death of a loved one. I mean these are fairly difficult experiences that people have had in life. And when, when you ask people about how many of those sorts of experiences they've had, um, there was two studies um, by a, a researcher in America called Mark Seary who showed that in, in one study he showed that, that people, again, who were, had that moderate amount of lifetime adversity had high levels of well-being, And also he was not lucky enough to be surveying people around September 11, so he also found that people with a moderate amount of lifetime adversity were better at responding to the stress of September 11th. So they showed, I guess, less reactivity to that as a function of having some prior exposure to difficult life events. And then he even showed, um, bringing it into the lab, that, um, that if you got people to put their hand into a bucket of ice and hold it there, that the people with a moderate amount of lifetime adversity not only held their hand in there longer than people with little lifetime adversity they, they, they were better at, at tolerating that that pain, but also they were they, they catastrophized it less than people with a lot of lifetime adversity so they were you know th- that moderate amount was enough to help people to i guess respond well to a an acute stressor in in the lab a painful experience in the lab um and and to have the best i guess the best response to be able to not only persevere but persevere without catastrophizing without feeling overwhelmed by it so yeah, I think I think that evidence is certainly there, and we're continuing to try and build in our studies um, whether or not just, you know, as you say, dealing with the 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 difficulty of a run on a daily basis might actually lead to um to to, to you know to better functioning throughout that day, to more resilient responding throughout that day. Um,
1: yeah, brings you back to the that that analogy or not uh, that that idea of someone who might be living more rural, you know, if I grab a farmer and say, you know, here's a bucket of ice, put your hand in it. You know, my, mm. my thoughts are they'd say, yeah, and what? Well, and then what, you know? Yeah. Oh, how long can you hold in there for? Well, as long as you yeah. want, you know, until my hand falls <laughs> out, you know, like it, it almost yeah. feels like it wouldn't probably even strike them very much. It would just be like, well, sure I can. As with someone yeah. else who maybe hasn't had much, much, uh or has a, lots of comfort in, in their life yeah. might kind of already start worrying, you know, oh, would it be one minute? Would it be two minutes? You know, they're yeah. already starting to actually become aroused, you know, a little bit yeah. uh, anxious yeah. about how, how they might go. And, you know, so it's very different. Obviously, I'm just talking anecdotally, but it, it seems like it would be that way.
0: Yeah, look, I think you're right. And I, and I, and I think it, it also not only attracts from that sort of physical comfort to, you know, the ability to, tolerate physical discomfort, but also tracks across you know the emotional spectrum as well, so that you know I think even having those physically uncomfortable experiences or dealing with some of that difficulty would also help us to be able to know how to manage anxiety and and stress and how to respond well to situations emotionally as well as physically. Of course, these things are all interlinked anyway, but um but yeah, so I, I do think there is a generalizing effect there, and we're continuing to build the evidence for it
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> would it be reasonable to suggest that some of the data is therefore suggesting that uh, if life isn't giving us adversity that you know life is fairly comfortable mm. there may be some benefit in actively going out and 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 creating conditions in which we experience pain obviously not harm uh, but yeah. we push that pain so for example the difference between going for a run and going for a run to the point of pain or maybe even running with pain for a period not yeah. to damage, you know, you no. know uh, joints and so on, but, but, uh, going through, through, uh, you know, the lactic acid pain sort of spaces yeah. that that could be beneficial. Or let, let's say, you know, having, a you know, standing in the shower for five seconds while it's, Colder than it, you would usually um, have a shower, yeah. but even that adversity might give you some uh, feeling of mastery or confidence, or, or, or you know. Well, I've
0: got or, or, I've got data to speak to that, if you like, because okay. we've we've got a public an unpublished study where we had people have a cold shower in the morning. Now, this this was actually conducted in Brisbane, so it wasn't really that hard. <laughs> 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 we tried to do it in, we tried to do it in winter but yeah, we tried to do it in winter but you know it slowly became summer as we were running the studies so i think towards the end people were quite happy to have a cold shower in the morning but um what we found there was um that that it, you know that 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 um having that shower led to an increased sense of self-efficacy um and then you know via that self-efficacy across the day the people experienced more positive effects um as a result of that so so you know, certainly we've we've actually exactly tested that, and and I think um, and I think you know you're right when it comes to running. I mean, we know that we know that exercise is an excellent um, treatment for depression, anxiety, affective disturbances. We know that you know, and and I I think that it's not just because you know it makes us fitter and and healthier. Um, I, I think it's probably there's there's probably a, a real uh, quite a range of reasons. I mean. Right down to the fact that it actually releases um, many of you know it releases opioids and dopamine and all of those reward based um, feel good chemicals as a result of a run and in actual fact the more that you the more that you run the harder you run I mean that, that that's what's called the run is high you literally get high after a run if you push hard enough um, so so the, you know I, I think and then the sense of efficacy and, and 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 the the ability you know the sense of your own ability to be able to tolerate and, and endure something like that. There's a whole lot of levels at which it works, but we know that intense exercise, physical exercise, is very, very good for effective disturbances. And I think that what we're talking about here plays directly into that equation.
1: So maybe when thinking about, at least from a psychologist's perspective, when, when, when thinking about this idea of exercise, uh, not suggesting that there aren't lots of great benefits from that, yeah. but encouraging maybe clients to exercise to get to the point of discomfort of point of pain yeah. and then staying in pain for a period, whether it be a minute, whether it be, yeah. you know, whatever the client's able to, to tolerate, you know, it could be five minutes. But uh, yeah. we, we know that potentially with uh, increasing uh, pain thresholds, there might be greater self-efficacy. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so that, you know, if someone can tolerate 10 seconds versus someone who can tolerate a minute versus someone who can tolerate 10 minutes, they're building on that efficacy and, and, and saying, wow. Yeah. And and also being able to feel the difference, the other side of 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 of, of happiness, you know, is is pain. Mm.
0: Yeah, no, I think absolutely. So, and again, I mean, you know, runners and, and sports people talk about good pain and bad pain. I think, you know, the distinction there is the bad pain is where you, start to feel your foot give way and, you know, your ankle is actually, is actually getting an injury. That's when you should stop. That's the pain you listen to. And you, you you say, okay, that's time for me to stop. I'm going to injure myself. Yeah. Um, but the good pain is the pain that you're able to experience as a part of that exercise, which is not, um, you know, not about a significant injury, um, but rather about the fact that you're pushing your muscles, your body, um, in a way which is actually causing quite a bit of resistance.
1: Apologies to the interruption to this podcast. Unfortunately, halfway through, my internet connection had some issues, some tech problems have arisen. So what we've done is we're just going to try and stitch together the first part and the second part of the interview uh, together. Apologies, however, because it had to be recorded over two different interviews as we didn't realize until the editing process that half of the interview was um Uh, not up to up to scratch with breaks in audio and the like so um, we'll try and continue on with the episode as cleanly as we can so back over to uh, you know part two of the interview rock i was wondering in terms of this idea of the difference between emotional and physical pain you know is is there one that that is more effective i mean i know when I think about my experience in the army, you know, there were, there were two components. One was certainly a lot of running and, you know, taking us away from sleep, you know, depriving us in that sort of space. Certainly a lot of that yelling, maybe that's a bit of an emotional sort of, sort of breakdown, um, you know, putting us down and the like, there was also stuff where we were asked to, you know, climb your tall, tall structures and, and, Jump off while obviously you know, you know attached safely, you know with a carabiner and rope. But ask yep. us to face you know pain, face fear. You know, is there one that's more, I suppose, uh, uh, productive to, to to toward bringing that greater state of uh, confidence or or um, mm. you know, self-efficacy or, or happiness even?
0: Yeah. So I guess the first part is, you know, are are, there, are these things different or similar? And and I, I guess the thing is that they're similar to the extent that they both occur in the brain. Um, and, and so our experience of physical pain is, is one which is ultimately a psychological experience. Um, and and that, that, you know, that, recognize, that that recognition of that was what allowed people to start to see that, you know, actually the way that we think and feel and other kinds of broader psychological factors can really impact on our experience of physical pain. Um, but again, I guess you know what, which which of those is going to you know influence our our happiness, our resilience, our well-being more? But I suppose um, you know the easiest way to, the easiest way to think about what kinds of experiences you might seek out to, to achieve that would be quite often physical ones, where you you have to endure something physical. Of course, there's there's often a, there's obviously emotion attached to that as well. Potentially a sense of you know being challenged, fear. Um, you know, I guess the, you know, the notion this is going to be very difficult and am I going to be able to cope and all of those sorts of thoughts and feelings attached to it. Um, but again, seeking out those physical experiences seems the most obvious and natural paths through which you might want to build some of these sorts of things into your life. Um, and, you know, I think, again, it's probably less likely that that you might seek out social rejection or something like that. It's a little more... Maybe that's a, a harder experience to to you know to want to seek out and to grow from. But but then again, I mean, there. If you do think about it, we we sometimes do do that. So you know, when I was young, I went travelling by myself um, for a, for a period of time, and you know, there, was, there were moments of quite I would say quite intense loneliness. Um, and and you know, I, I think that was a really important part of that that trip. It was uh, I, I later went travelling with a companion, and I think that that. That trip on my own had, uh, you know, was more of a growth um, experience for me than when I was with somebody because I had to, I had to learn to be alone. I had to learn to, you know, to feel that loneliness and then all sort of resolve it um, to meet people to to you know to get through that. So, so in, other, in some ways we do sort of seek out an absence of social relationships, maybe not rejection and 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 you know. Um, ostracism from other people but maybe we take ourselves away from people sometimes in solitary kind of worlds and experiences um, of course there are, there, are, there are a range of other sorts of ways that people seek out experiences whether it be through you know um, movies that that involve fearful or negative sad um, scary content um, whether or not we see these as ways to build resilience we probably don't and probably they probably they, they don't necessarily do I don't think watching more gory movies is going to make us happier and healthier and you know more and stronger in life Um, but but again we do seek out those experiences because we get some some enjoyment from them Um, so I suppose um yeah I mean people seek out these experiences they employ them in different ways we do traditionally or easily see the link between I, I guess challenging ourselves physically though I think that's the most natural domain in which we kind of you know, think about this stuff and probably probably enact it as well.
1: It's interesting. While you're talking, my mind's kind of racing around in terms of looking at. You know, context is so so important. Uh, you know, obviously, yeah. movies. Uh, generally speaking, yeah. I, I watch for entertainment. Having said that, uh, someone might be quite, in actual fact, frightened of watching. You know, horror scenes and. Yeah. By actually going out and, and actively um, seeking them out to, to, to sit yep. with that discomfort, that could be kind yeah. of a, a position of building self-efficacy or, or, or you know self-empowerment, and, and the context yeah. changes it from entertainment to doing something you know working on myself or um, that yeah. that idea of you know no one seeks social rejection you know in terms of you mm. know being rude to someone else so that someone is rude to you for example. But it it tends Mm. to be, I I suppose, in some sense, our fear of social rejection Mm. uh, means that we don't seek social contact we, we, no, we kind right. of pull back and, and, and rather than, and I know this because I, I get this at conferences mm. all the time. Um, I get highly self conscious in a conference. Mm. Um, you know, I stand by myself. I I think everyone's going and judging me, and, you know, I'm a loner mm. and a loser. And I, I never fit into these sorts of things and da da da, all that normal stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, my job, if, if I want to go out and have some growth, I, I, I suppose, or increase that mm. pain, uh, is to yeah. walk over to someone who's probably also standing there by themselves and say, "Hey, how are you going? my name's Nesh. You know what brings you to this conference? Yeah. Why, why do you enjoy this?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one thing you've identified there is you know I mean we know this is, is a, a long a long trend in in therapy is exposure exposure therapy, so exposing yourself to the things you fear, and so yeah movies can can do that in mean, some sort of way and certainly going and talking to people at conferences. I once did a did a, a training course in in behavioural experiments, you know, as a as a form of intervention. And and at, at lunchtime, we were all we were all sort of challenged to go and and do something um a little bit sort of outside of our comfort zones. So some people went and sang in Myers. Um, I, I came up with this rather innocuous um, example where I was going to go and ask people what the temperature was, because it was kind of not a normal thing to ask people. You know, obviously I was really branching out with that. Um, you know, and, and what we were asked to do is make predictions about what we thought, people, how people would respond. So my prediction was people would get annoyed and angry with me that I was asking such a stupid question. <laughs> um, the first person that I asked um, ran away anxiously. <laughs> and the, the, the second, the, so not angry or, you know, just a bit worried about me. Um, and the second person uh, just just laughed along and went went with the with the joke Well, didn't even laugh just went with it and and you know had a, had a good time with it so you know sometimes that's a good thing to do as well is to make these predictions about what we think our, what our fears tell us might be the case and then expose ourselves to those experiences and update our predictions accordingly and and often things we're anxious or worried about um, you know such as such as the examples you gave we're often going to make a I, I guess a prediction there which is inaccurate, probably in favor of the anxiety rather than reality um so yeah, there are plenty of social ways and 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 even sort of you know even maybe via entertainment where we can again get, get get the increase that exposure to these experiences which do challenge us and 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 through that i guess build some capacity to to um engage with them more easily more productively with less anxiety and worry yeah. yeah.
1: It reminds me of a scene in in a movie Fight Club. If you've ever seen that, where the uh, main character asks, um, you know, the members of, of of the club to, you know, go out this week, pick a fight with someone and lose it. You know, and yeah. then all the next <laughs> scenes are, you know, maybe a guy watering the garden, and as as you know, a neighbor walks past or something, you know, squirting the the guy with the water, trying to you know, pick a fight. And interestingly, it's very hard for people to engage in these sorts of things. You know, the yeah, it's yeah. not it's not easy for someone to to to, for example, you know, get angry or annoyed or whatever it might no. be, but it creates no. a fear. You know, it's a fear of I don't want to pick a fight or, you know, yeah. I don't want to go and approach someone and be rejected.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. So so yeah, again again putting you know putting ourselves in small in those in those experiences in small ways helps to build that, that you know that ability to um, yeah to, to, to feel more comfortable in those in those experiences and also yeah again just to probably correct and update our predictions about what really is going to be the outcome too
1: and that, that that links in with that voluntary stuff in the, in terms of if I'm voluntarily doing it rather than I'm being forced mm. you know I'm voluntarily moving into pain rather than you know being harmed by being forced, uh, self, self sort of yeah. um, uh, willingness, uh, yeah. if you will, is, is, is important in, in that space, whether yeah. it be therapeutic or, you know, challenging oneself to run further or, you know, um, yeah. keep your heart rate at yeah. a certain level or whatever it might be.
0: Yeah, so, so certainly control and choice are very, very important and, and you know, and, and those experiences always feel less adverse, more manageable um, when we have those, when we have control and choice as part of it. We, we, we feel in charge of what's going on, absolutely,
1: yeah. Is, is part of the, um, I, I suppose, the message or the thesis of, of, of your book, um, The Other Side of Happiness, uh, that in terms of maybe people can develop a willingness to go out and um either put themselves in a the, in that space or is it about trying to accept more of that when it shows up uh, uh what we yeah. think the message is or in a bit of both how how do you kind of formulate that
0: yeah no it's it's a good point I, I, and and i always um in fact i was i was i was very i was very worried um that the message, because it is, you know, the message is a little bit sort of more naturally aligned with people who might go and and seek out these sorts of experiences. Um, so, you know, I, I know that you know that the people in you know in extreme sports or um, you know gym junkies or these sorts of guys, you know, that they they've certainly connected with the message in the book, um, you know, more broadly as well. But certainly, in, you know, those people who do want to go out and seek out these experiences and find. And benefit in them certainly found some messages there um, you know but, but when i was you know in the, in the process and in fact before the book was published you know even just in the research that i've been doing um, you know i was always a little bit worried about how it would be would be taken in the in the pain community in the chronic pain community because you know certainly the last thing you want to tell someone who is experiencing chronic pain in this case i'm talking physical but i mean i think it's the same if it's an emotional is that absolutely you know, their experiences somehow good for them you know the, that's the way to pick a fight i think is you know. um, <laughs> <laughs> but then I, I got an invitation to the british pain society to talk at one of their conferences and um, you know i was almost a bit worried that they were going to kind of roll me out and, and, and crucify me but it, but it wasn't the case at all and in fact people people connected in that in that area quite a lot as well because they and and I you know got comments and things from people um on on you know various things around in the web or emails from people who who were were able to you know i guess put a different framework around the pain that they had in their lives, even when they they, they hadn't chosen it. So you know if you're it, you know one one message here is is that you know it's actually very it's very functional and effective to go out and expose yourself to these sorts of experiences, to to push yourself, to, to challenge yourself through through engaging with things which can be painful, difficult, adverse, anxiety-provoking, um, up to a point. And, and, and this can be quite a productive way to actually build resilience, well-being, and happiness in real life. Um, but also we're exposed to those sorts of experiences without choosing to be frequently as well. Mm. And And if you walk into that experience with a very black-and-white view that, well, this is just a bad thing that's happened to me, this is just a terrible thing that's happened to me, well, it will just feel bad and terrible and you won't respond to it or bounce off it very well at all. In fact, it'll probably, it'll probably sort of encompass you. But, but if you have a, a different different kind of framework to apply to that, so this is a bad thing, I wish it didn't happen, but, you know, as a part of it, I can also see the other, other opportunities that have opened up. Would I overall prefer not to have this experience? Absolutely, but it never happened. But given it's happened, given I've got to confront it and I've got to lean into it somehow... Um, having some 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 frameworks to think through it from a different perspective to give it some nuance, to see to see another side to it um, is actually I think you know people find that quite helpful, um, and and I, I think that you know I think again anything that we see in this sort of black and white way is not a very adaptive way of looking at the world, and so we you know we've seen pain in a very black and white way you know pain is bad it needs to be we need to get rid of it. Um, but actually maybe maybe it's not all bad. And then if that's the case, what, what are the benefits and, and can we find them in some sort of way and does that make our experience of that pain easier and better and even, even maybe there are parts of it which lead us to grow in some way, even if we haven't chosen it
1: and that's what's so hard about this topic and maybe what keeps people afraid and scared to discuss this, that, that uh, if it's misunderstood or the nuance isn't quite there, the distinctions around pain that might be helpful and pain that's less helpful or even opening our mind or trying to see a different perspective of how pain could serve, uh, you know, it, it can go out and rub people the wrong way. I know that in my own life I've had Extremely expensive, you know. Uh, pain lessons to to, to learn. I that that's how I tend to formulate it. I kind of go, this is a lesson, you know, and and it's just come in the form yeah. of extreme, you know, cost, you know, whether it be, you know, emotional, whether it be time, whether it be, mm. you know, heartache, whether it be, you know, financial. There's a great cost to that. And I suppose the way I try and reconcile that at least is is it, it it does go out and provide me with an opportunity to to learn. So that, you know, maybe that, that kind of helps me. But that I suppose the concern is a lot of people will quite very will very easily say, I reject that claim. I that doesn't work for me. And we're not saying that yeah. has to work for, yeah. for everyone. That, that, that's not what the thesis is.
0: No. I I mean I mean, a, a weak form of the thesis is yeah. I mean, some people are going to find that this works for them more than others. Um, I think a stronger form is that actually it's just how happiness works, and, and and in fact, even if we're not, even if we're not aware of it, we're all doing it to some degree. And if we're not doing it enough, then maybe we're not as happy as we could be. So there, there is it, it is how it works. It is how mm. it works. Um, but yeah, it is it is a hard message. And indeed, you know, the editors at Penguins said, "Brock, how are we going to sell a?" A book on pain to people. Let's call it the other side of happiness.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You've got to inject the word happiness in.
0: <laughs> so, you know, so oh, a book on happiness. What's the other side? I wonder. <laughs> pain. Uh, <laughs> it's not the perhaps the easiest or obvious you know, most obvious kind of feel-good message for people, but at the same time, anyone who's, you know, been in an experience that, that's required a different perspective or who who's perhaps also pushed and found the benefits to these sorts of experiences has has latched onto it. And I think also, um I think also people are a little bit sick of the idea that we can just kind of continue to um to engender sort of positivity and upward spirals of happier and happier and more positive feelings, um, which itself, as as I've argued in the book, has has the downside of leading us to respond badly to those negative experiences when they do happen. We think, well, why am I feeling sad? I should be should be an upward spiral of positivity. What's gone wrong? Why what's wrong with me? Um and so I think anyone who's even exposed, you know, perhaps run the gauntlet on, on the positive thinking side of things has come around to see that actually you need to need yeah. to look at this differently. It's not it's not working when you look at it that way. So yeah, so maybe it's maybe in, in, a, in a in a in a sort of a world full of hedonists it's a hard it's a hard message to sell. And we are we are living in a world, all of us in the world at I think in some degree at the moment.
1: So. <laughs> For me personally, I, I, I'm actually excited by it and, and, and optimistic mm. and inspired because I I feel that, that, that connection seems to me like it's very strong. That that the data's yeah. there, you know, how we do therapy certainly suggest yeah. the more the more visceral, the more we can um, ask our clients to activate that limbic system, which effectively means get emotional, right, you know, feel yeah. the pain, yeah. you know, kind yeah. of a step towards the pain, the more effective yeah. therapy is. You know, yeah. I, I think there's so many links, you know, whether it be systematic desensitization or that willingness, uh, yeah. whether it be exposure therapy. I think all of these things mm. are quite nuanced about, a willingness and, and and putting yourself forward yeah. and, and for what reason. Um, yeah. You know, all of those things are very, very inspiring. But th- this message I think helps us simplify it even more of just saying, you know, pain is important. You know, we, yeah. we need to in, in some sense uh, have a capacity to be able to thrust ourselves, if, if, if you will, into that space because it's good for us, you know, that that it, yeah. it, this growth that comes from it even though it might not yeah. Even though it's frightening. Yeah. No, yeah. No. I yeah. think it's an optimistic and, message.
0: Yeah. And it's certainly, you know, the idea is not to stay there either. I mean, it's not a, it's not, it's not like you want to hold yourself in that place, but, um, but you have to dip into it. You have to step into it. And sometimes when it's coming to forward, towards you, you've got to lean into it. Um, and, and then, and then, you know, that's the best way to cope with it and to deal with it. So, um, yeah. So I think it, I think it's a sort of needed.
1: And there's an interesting, um, gentleman that, uh, uh, has written a book and and um, uh, has been kind of given or dubbed a title of world's toughest man. His name is uh, David Goggins, mm.
0: and mm. Uh, something mm.
1: interesting about the the work he does, or something that jumped out at for, for for me, he's like a you know American Navy Seal, and he's done ultra marathons and so on and so forth. But there's this term that he talks about, which is a, a mental building a mental callus. Uh, yeah. And, and it's not necessarily doing one thing. It's, it's actually putting a layer upon a layer upon a layer, the same way you'd put mm. a callus on your hands. You you know, are mm. trying to put a, a mental callus on, you know, doing something that's difficult or challenging or hard or uh, whatever that might be. Yeah. And it could be, you know, learning a language. It, yeah. it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be, you know, challenging, challenging myself physically, but he too you know, uh, sees that link between, uh, you know, that cheeky sort of idea of a shortcut to mindfulness, uh, is is through pain. Um, uh, so I, 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 think you're, you're definitely, um, you know, the the way that you say it is so elegant and, and, you know, coming from, from your background Mm. is so powerful.
0: Oh, thank you. You know, I do like the idea of mental callus. I'm going to, yeah, I think it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice way of framing it, really. You develop a callus, um, yeah, which is a toughness, you know. I mean, it, it, that idea of toughness is quite in, quite important as well. Um, and even, even culturally and socially these days, I think there's been a, a tendency to focus on, um, you know, this is starting to come through in a few social commentators, you know, a tendency to focus on... Um, Protecting people from um, from you know I guess not exposing them or or allowing them to to experience their weaknesses or to even even to sort of identify with with various different um, vulnerabilities and to see that as as who we are that we are vulnerable we need to be protected and I think that that increasingly is causing problems and certainly been identified in universities in America and um, you know I think even some of the you know even even in the, the, the the school generation currently in Australia, that, that, you know, that there is a, 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 a tendency to step away from this, from this and to see ourselves in this kind of um, this, this space of vulnerability and the need for protection uh, rather than sometimes um, doing a little bit more what actually people are quite good at doing in honour cultures where you have to earn that respect from others. You have to actually um, step into that space in order to gain respect from other people. Um, and, and, and whether that's the right thing or not, I don't know, but it's certainly when it, when it plays out in terms of how people orient towards these sorts of experiences in life, I think that idea of having to step into it, having to earn Mm. interesting one to to consider. And we've sort of lost it a little bit and we sort of feel, well, no, I should be respected no matter what. And I don't need to sometimes earn or or prove myself. And, you know, certainly in the army, that's the way that it plays out there. You have to earn the respect. Um, Mm. Should we, should we have to earn respect from people? I don't know. But again, it, it has an interesting interplay with how we approach these sorts of experiences mm. and how we think we should be approaching these sorts of experiences in life.
1: It's, it, it's fascinating from a cultural point of view because there are uh, you know, historically you know, rituals to manhood, you know, whether it's yeah. through physical yeah. mutilation, you know, scarring mm. of the skin yeah. and, and so mm. on. And so there's a lot of things that do involve pain. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, yeah, and it's almost at like this transition of you will now go through a transition um, or, yeah. or through a um, a ritual uh, yeah. that's going to demonstrate that you're a man, and, and in some sense maybe it goes out and says it's going to at least start a process of greater and greater exposure. You know, and and once you're in that in that passage, will allow you to do other things. That yeah. That, or pain or responsibility that, you know, creates that. But it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Where, where can we go out and, uh, you know, find your your book, get a copy of your book? Uh, I think there's going to be, you know, a, a really important piece for, for a lot of people to go and do some more research on uh, because, you know, if yeah. it's important, we have a starting point.
0: Yeah. Look, I think any any of the online places have it, Amazon or, Whatever else we go to and use in Australia, so yeah, it's it's, it's I, I think any, you certainly order anywhere online, and I think it's still still in a few bookshops. It was released in 2018, so you know it's been a couple of years, but um, certainly online's an easy place to find it. Excellent. So, um, yeah.
1: And what's next for you? Yeah, I, um,
0: it's always an interesting question. Um, look, I'm I'm still I'm still thinking around what you know. Uh, when you've had a go at a book, you know, is is there another one? Um, it's always a lingering question, which maybe never gets answered, and or, or maybe it does. But um, yeah, you know, been been pondering a few ideas that could or couldn't maybe lead to that. So we'll see. But at the moment, I'm just, um, moment I'm doing, I'm enjoying some, you know, the, the research I do here and uh, some of the consulting work I do externally, and, and, and kind of keeping all that going. So that's 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 fun, and and, and some of the counseling work I do as well. So. Variety, enjoying the variety of
1: life. It's a cheeky question. It's almost like, do you want to go through that suffering and pain again?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I, I won't say there wasn't a bit of that involved. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you on the podcast and, and I think your insights are, you know, an ama- absolutely amazing and, and I do also need to apologise for the tech uh, difficulties and, and hiccup in the middle of this, but uh, we, we, we were That'd able be to pick to up from. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> if, you, if you're watching online, um you know, <laughs> don't be confused about why my dress is, is all different <laughs> or our dress. So. Uh, but, yeah, appreciate it and thanks again for, for, for your time.
0: No worries.
1: Thank you, Nish. If you enjoyed this podcast, please support it by going to iTunes and putting a review, subscribe, share it via social media, and tell others about it. Start a conversation. It's listeners like you that make this able and possible and why we bring in these guests to go out and share their knowledge and resources. And just lastly, if you are a psychologist and you want to go out and Be part of a bigger team, develop your experience, and get into some exciting work. Come to strategicpsychology.com.au forward slash careers and reach out. I'd love to hear from you.